Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Fay. I started the Not A Mommy Yet blog and this podcast because I've always known I want to be a parent one day, and you might be listening because you feel the same. You may have also heard people with kids say things like, I wish I had known this before I had kids, or I wish I had done that. Hearing those comments made me think about the parts of my life I want to spend more time focusing on before I have kids in ways that will benefit me as a parent. So I started a list of people who can teach me about health, money, relationships, psychology, and more, and started interviewing them, and this podcast was born. Whether you plan to have kids or not, I think you'll find something interesting in this podcast for you. I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. Today I'm speaking with Mr. Chaz Lewis. Mr. Chaz helps parents and teachers with their children. If you are already following him on Instagram, you know how enthusiastic he is to help parents, caregivers, and teachers with so many great tools to break generational cycles and in his words, see, guide, and build trust with children. I wanted him on the podcast because a lot of learning about how to be around kids and understand how they think and learn requires adults to unlearn a lot of what they've been raised to think and feel. That requires hard work, patience, and practice that people without kids can work on now and benefit from later. Understanding child development is so important to communicate and connect with your child, or any children for that matter. And of course, there's the intuitive part of this that can come very naturally when you're around kids. But when it gets hard and you and a child are not seeing eye to eye, Mr. Chaz has some really great tools to take the pressure off and find smoother sailing going forward. We discuss how kids think and that we have just as much to learn from children as they have to learn from us. We talk about ADHD and kids with more energy. And we talk about modeling versus verbal communication and teaching. We also talk about his article on protesting with children and how to talk to kids about race and racism. I really enjoyed speaking with Mr. Chaz on this episode of Not A Mommy Yet, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Well, thank you so much, Chaz. Should I call you Mr. Chaz? (laughs) What do like your peers and friends call you? (laughs) Uh, My parents and friends call me Chaz, but Mr. Chaz is fine. Um, Most of my coworkers and the kids that I work with, which are most of the people that I know, um, call me Mr. Chaz. Nice. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, I reached out to you because the The hopes with this podcast and the people that I like to talk to um, are ones that can help people who want to have kids one day be better prepared for that time. And I know you work with people who already have kids, but I'm sure there's plenty that could be learned before that time comes. And um, to just get started, I'd first love to hear from you how you got into this field, just because it seems like literally you're calling, you're so good at it, and (laughs) you're full of so much great information. So how did you get into this career? So that's actually, it's funny when people ask me that question because it's probably not the answer that people would expect. I didn't, you know, grow up wanting to be a teacher, wanting to work with kids. Um, I didn't have great experiences as a child growing up um, in school. So it was definitely not a, a profession that I wanted to pursue. I really just, my friend, so this is how it happened. My friend, got a job at the kind of local childcare facility down the street and they were looking to hire more people. And the director there just said, hey, do you know anyone else who might want a job? Um, and I was looking for a job. So they invited me, I walked in, I interviewed. I had no real experience with children. I didn't even know if I really liked children at the time because I just hadn't spent a lot of time with them. Um, so, um, I, but I got the job and kind of immediately just kind of fell in love with the job. Um, I think I had some natural talent in terms of like interacting with children and understanding them and, and, and like really playing with them is kind of where we first made the connection. Um, but I really struggled with helping them through things like conflict and like, 
I remember so vividly, like two children would be in some kind of conflict and I would go to try to help them. And I felt like I was sometimes making it worse or maybe I don't know if I was making it better. And that was just really stressful because even during that time, I understood the gravity of what I was doing, which is, you know, you know, being a part of growing the next generation of humans. Um, and so that was really tough for me. And I just remember like going on break and not like my body just not wanting to, you know, take the steps to come back. Um, and I remember going in the car and like crying about it. And it was something that I, I really, really struggled with. But that is actually what makes me so passionate about helping like new teachers at first and, you know, parents, because mm -hmm. like, like I just remember that struggle of and those feelings that I felt um, during that time and, and what it took for me to learn and, and grow my understanding of children and grow my ability to have patience and to work with them um, and collaborate. And, and, and so I'm really, at first it was really because so I'm an educational specialist, it was about me teaching teachers to teach pandemic yeah. happened all the teachers went home um most of the kids went home and i really saw how the parents were struggling during that time and i have always had this intrinsic desire to help and reach back and and you know make an impact and not even just helping the teachers help the children but also helping the teachers enjoy what they're doing, enjoying the process of being with children and, um, you know, kind of changing mindsets sometimes. And so that's what I started to do with parents. And so that's kind of where I started, to, I created the TikTok and the Instagram, started to create content that was enjoyable to consume, but also value after you listen to it you feel like you've gotten some value you've grown a little bit or your perspective has shifted a little bit and so that's kind of how that's kind of i guess the part of the origin story nice well that's awesome i, I love it when those situations kind of happen where it's just you fall into it and it ends up being something that really aligns with you um yeah. Um, especially when it was unexpected, like you said, like you weren't even sure <laughs> what it would be like to work with kids. Um, so yeah, going into that kind of like, I know kids, are, I guess are slowly going back into school now, but something I wanted to talk to you about was ADD and ADHD and like how kids are diagnosed with that and then put on medication. Um, I was put on medication in high school and college. I have friends, my mom was put on medication in an elementary school. Um, my sister was an example of a child who was very, just wanted to do a lot of different things. So like in preschool and kindergarten, that's kind of easy to just say to the teacher, like, hey, if she wants to go do this, like, I don't know if this is good or not, but like, don't reprimand her, maybe don't like focus on her, um, just let her kind of do her thing if she's safe, like, but then as you get older, it's harder to do. So I'm curious how you help teachers navigate those situations and also parents maybe help their children understand energy and like how they control not I don't want to say control but like understand their energy I guess and um yeah like how do you help people through that because I just feel like ADD is so it's diagnosed so frequently and the medication can be really detrimental so yeah um and my big thing about energy is is giving them giving children an outlet for that energy those ideas um you know their interests and I talk a lot about facilitating a child's interest and you know, I, I, I very much wish it is a lot harder as they, you know, get older and enter the, you know, the school system. I really wish the school system did, was more focused on teaching the way that children learn as opposed to trying to get children adapt to the way that we decide to teach or that specific teacher decides to teach or that, um, or just the the curriculum that we decide is important for children to have without the flexibility um, of of really helping children and seeing the the children in the classroom in front of you and you know training and developing the teacher enough to be able to you know guide the children 
and individualize the, you know, the curriculum. So it's not all trying to fit the, you know, the square pegs in the circle, you know, in the circle hole where we can acknowledge where there's one, there's space to really connect and get to know each individual child um, and then space to acknowledge their individual strengths and use them in different ways and more hands-on active ways. Um, and, you know, and by the way, if, if that's not the way that you learn, individualizing it to, you know, the, the way that you learn, maybe you don't learn in a more hands-on active way and you really want to just sit and listen and process the information before you're ready to, you know, we should be able to individualized curriculum in a way where we can reach all learners as opposed to um, one or two different kinds of learners. So, I mean, that's a wish and that's a hope. And there's some levels where there are accommodations made and that's, a, you know, unfortunately there has to be, there typically has to be like a diagnosis before those accommodations are made. Um, but I, even within the kind of the, what I call the factory style education system. I'm not the one who coined that term, but um, even in this education system, I still think there's a lot that, there is still some flexibility that teachers have to really see their children um, in the classroom and, you know, switch it up a little bit um, and do things that are going to reach the different kinds of learners that you have and really connect with the children who um, are, are who, who, who struggle to connect to the material in the tr traditional way. Um, so that's, that's kind of more on the teacher note. Now, in terms of parents, um, I really think the parent-teacher relationship is really important. And as a parent, you know, as, as sensitive as a, as a topic as it may feel, for you for a diagnosis and to read words on a paper that may even feel kind of dehumanizing. Um, it's important to really partner with the teacher so that one, the teacher may, may have a greater understanding as you know, your child may have a greater understanding of how to reach your child and what really connects with them. Um, and maybe they'll be able to kind of maybe go the extra mile because it really is going the extra mile as a teacher, unfortunately, um, but really advocating for your child, but in a relationship building way. Um, and that's, that's really the biggest thing that I recommend for parents who are navigating this. I, I, think, I think most teachers have good intentions, um, and, but sometimes they're in bad situations oftentimes they're in bad situations and they're not given the resources that they really need to do, you know, to, I don't want to say do a, a good job, but right. there's a quote that I kind of, I'm going to butcher it, but there's a quote that I heard somewhere, but it really connected with me <laughs> that, um, you know, bad teachers, bad teachers, I'm doing this in quotes, aren't created by accident they're practically demanded by the system. Um, and so the really great teachers really have to do a lot many times to, um, to be, to be great teachers. It's not, they have to go really above and beyond to be good teachers and be great teachers to really connect with each student. So um, that partnership as a parent can really help in that. And that's what I would say. So giving them the energy outlet so they first have that space to kind of express themselves and then allowing the teacher or hoping for the teacher to, to kind of be able to offer alternative ways of learning, which is so interesting. When I, was, I was in when I was in college, I majored in psych, and when I took child development, that class really resonated with me because I was like, wow, kids learn in such a specific way. Their brains are so different from adults. Like as a parent, you know, you're looking at your child and I don't have kids, but I've taken care of many kids and I'm, 
I just, you know, you don't think like they think. It's so hard. I even work on like kids TV shows and it's so hard to get into their head of like how they're going to receive this information. So it's interesting to me that I feel like this isn't a natural instinct for both schools, like you said, to adjust how, how we teach children and then also parents, how they connect with their children. That learning about child development and the brain and stuff isn't like almost a requirement the way that like a birthing class is a requirement. Like you kind of all go to a birthing class before you give birth, but no one's really learning about child development. Um, so yeah, it's important for people, you know, that people can connect with someone like you because it's just, it's so interesting how complex, how complex kids are. Um, but if you just take a second and be patient, which I feel like is a lot of the themes, uh, they like run through a lot of your videos is just like take a deep breath and think about what your child actually needs in this moment, as opposed to like what you need or what you think they need. Um, and then that way you can respond in a way that's actually conducive and will hopefully result in change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard a lot of times because, you know, we have our needs as adults and you're right. We think differently. We have a completely different agenda than what our children are. And we have as much as our, as our children have to learn from us. We have a lot to learn from children as well. Um, you know, we are so much focused on, and this is where a lot of times we clash because we're so focused on as adults on the future and what's going to ha happen next. And we're so focused on the past and, so often we forget to really just be in the present as as opposed to children who are so much just in the present moment. That's why when you're walking to the car, you're thinking about, oh, we got to make this appointment. We got to do this. We got to, you know, they're walking to the car with you. But then as soon as they see the bug, they're like completely enamored by the bug and everything is about that bug. Right. Um, and that is, you know, is because they saw the bug and that was happening in that moment and they're experiencing that moment. And we have so, like, I think there is, you know, we have a lot to learn from that. And I think that, you know, we have a tendency because we clash and um, some of it is about being, you know, present, some, you know, children more willing and wanting to play and they're trying to get their needs met, but they don't know necessarily how to meet their needs. So they're going about it in whatever ways they can, they, they can try to figure it out. And they really need us to help them you know, learn how to meet their needs in more appropriate ways. Um, and it's, it, it can be really challenging because sometimes our needs can seem to really conflict. Like in the example of us trying to keep a time constraint and them just being in the moment and wanting to play and experiencing what they're experiencing. Um, and any way that we can find the bridge between the two where we can meet our needs as the adult who has, you know, this agenda and, and things that we need to do, you know, keep the house relatively clean, you know, be on top of employment, do work, you know, that kind of stuff, pay the bills. Um, you know, we can also learn a lot from children and, but also bridge the gap between our children's needs of connection, you know, and power, wanting to make decisions. And sometimes it takes us to regulate, to kind of think about what's really happening and really see the situation for what it is, um, to think of that creative solution. Um, because when we're in our, in our emotional brain that it's hard for us to access logic and reasoning just as kids. Um, and the kids get more stuck in their emotional brain and the part of the brain of that, you know, is the logic and reasoning part, the prefrontal cortex is still developing. Um, so it's harder for them to access, they have less experience. So it's really on us to regulate ourselves, access logic and reasoning, and kind of be almost the mediator who creates the cooperation amongst the situation. Um, and that can be really hard to do, especially because most of us grew up not having that as an example. Um, you know, a lot of us grew up, either you listen to what I say, or you're going to get hit, or I'm going to shame you into doing, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to punish you as opposed to really seeing what the child's needs and wants were and feelings were and validating their feelings and helping them meet their needs in more appropriate ways and listening to the children and taking children seriously. And that's, and so it's a really hard thing to do. And it's a really hard shift to make. Um, and it takes 
time and you're going to want to revert back to the way that your parents did it. Um, right. Especially if it was a harsh kind of punch, especially if it was something like corporal punishment because that kind of trauma lives in the body. Um, and so, and a lot of people say it's like, it's only as a last resort, right? And you're right, like that's what it like, at least now, typically when people, most people who like still spank will say, I'll do it as a, only as a last resort, right? And really what that is, even like thinking about that, what that's admitting is I have no other tools here. I don't know what else to do. So I'm not gonna kind of just resort to violence because I'm kind of like at a loss here, right? As opposed to, man, I'm, a, I'm, I'm at a loss here and that feels uncomfortable because I feel like I'm the parent, I should know what to do. And, and you know, that feels uncomfortable for me to not know what to do right now. Maybe I should reflect on it, learn and see, try to find tools and learn like, what do other people do who don't hit their children? Um, how else can I respond to this? Um, to this behavior that is triggering me, right? And because it's not, you, it's not because a lot of times we'll say it's, you know, they, they made me mad. They made me hit them. One, you know, just like we tell children all the time, you know, no one, you are in charge of your own choices. No one can make you do anything, right? Um, and the other thing is that other than, you know, on top of us putting our emotions on children, the tougher thing to do is, well, instead of putting our emotions and blaming children for our emotions, the tougher thing to do is to reflect on how we're interpreting it, right? Because it's how we are interpreting what's happening that's making us mad, not the actual event. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really challenging. It's really tough. I know I just said a lot, but um, it's just something to think about as you're entering you know, fatherhood or motherhood and thinking about the maybe things that you want to unpack from your childhood yeah. before you go into this role. I think a lot of the, I, I mean, you know, you're not just given like a four-year-old, right? Like, unless you, I guess adoption is another consideration, but let's say you're, you have a newborn. So every day is an opportunity as your child grows to kind of flex these different muscles and learn from your child, learn from yourself. And obviously, you know, there are kids I know can like flip on a dime and like all of a sudden be a certain way. And like yesterday they were totally different, like things can change. But um, something that I've been gathering from talking to different people, listening to parenting podcasts is that like conversations that you have with kids, for example, like you're not going to be good at having uncomfortable conversations with your kid right off the bat. It's going to be a practice and you have to kind of like regulate them for every age and stage. But then by the time, let's say like the conversation about sex and consent, like by the time they're teenagers, then it's not like your first time talking to them about this. Like you've, you've worked on this, you know, month after month, year after year, whatever with your children. So I think that's something that I took out of that was just, you know, that it takes practice. This isn't going to be something that comes naturally. And that can be frustrating, especially for people who maybe have experienced in the past things coming very naturally to them. Um, and then the other thing was about modeling. That was the other thing that I've picked up is like a lot, children like gather so much from modeling and what they see their parents do. So how much would you say is modeling versus verbal communication of like how, like lessons, I guess, like what's yeah, kind of the balance there? So it's, I think it's a lot of things. And I think those aren't even all the category. I think it's the, it's, yeah, it's modeling. I mean, it all comes down to nature and nurture, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be, your child is going to be born with a temperament and the experiences in that child's life, the environment that that child is in. When I say environment, I don't mean just the physical environment. I mean, the people, I mean, the sounds, mm -hmm. the city, the smell, all of the environment, all of the, all of the things, the information, that your child takes in from their environment is going to impact their temperament, either really reinforce some things or, you know, and that's what's going to create the personality or the person that the child becomes, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yes, modeling is super important. Modeling is, 
especially as the, you know, as a parent, like you are the number one person that your child is learning from. They look up to the most. You are the number one and number two role model, number three, however many, like, you know, parents yeah. you have in your household, right? Um, you are, you know, who are, you're who they're looking up to. Now, that's not to say that is everything. Now, yes, the verb of the conversations that you have, but it's not just about the conversations you have. It's the way you're playing with them, the way you're in. It's not just that you're interacting. It's how you're interacting, right? It's not that you're there. It's how you're there, right? Um, it's not just that they have friends. It's, you know, what friends that they have. And, you know, it's not something that, you can, you're not going to be able to control everything. And that's a big like trap, I'd say, in terms of like people going into and how like our society talks about like, you know, like parenting and kids is that like we have this obsession of wanting to control children and control the outcome. And while we have a lot of influence over our children, you know, it's not healthy in any relationship, think about any relationship, to be so focused on controlling the other person. And that's what a lot of people, even people who come to see, you know, to talk to me, like it's, that's like, okay, like how do I control the situation? And yeah, I will tell you, I have, I've gotten working in a classroom, I've gotten very good at controlling <laughs> the situation. But there was a point, there's there's like there was like a level, right? So at first I came in the classroom. This might be a little full circle, full circle from the beginning. Came in the classroom. I was kind of naturally good at interaction and like creating connections with the kids, but I didn't really know how to like teach them and develop skills and to work through like conflict and you know things like that. Okay, I learned how to do that, and that was that was great. And that was like, I started to be pretty good at that. But then the next thing was like, okay, now I have to still figure out how to manage all like, you know, 30 children, 33 to five-year-olds in a classroom and get them to point A to point B. And mm -hmm. okay. So I learned how to kind of control the situation and control a whole group of children in various situations. Okay. But then the next level is like kind of like a deeper reflection of like, all right, I may be able to control everything but should I right mm -hmm. and you know I have a there's a, a big reflection of I have a lot of power in this classroom and you know parents you have even way way more power over your you know one child um you know even though I have the power should I use it to control and or force a child to do one thing? Now that's a different level because sometimes we just get focused. How do I get them to do this? How do I get them to stop this? And the question should be, mm, well, should I get them to stop climbing or should I get them, should I teach them where the appropriate thing to climb is on? Like, what's the appropriate thing to climb? Where do I climb? Mm -hmm. When can I climb? Right? right. How do I use this? energy or this feeling that I'm feeling inside of my body and how do I use it in an, an appropriate way, in a way mm -hmm. that's more pro-social, in a way that's, you know, emotionally and socially healthy, mm -hmm. right? And that's a whole different, like, level of thought um, and level of challenge too. But right. I think in the long run, it, it ends up not being so much more enjoyable, you know, fulfilling and not as challenging because you know then you're forced more to build an authentic genuine relationship and really listen to them and really you know focus on the cooperation as opposed to obedience and that just feels a lot better because yeah. no one we know that like we don't no one likes to be controlled and anytime we're getting to an empathetic empathetic moment of you know seeing children and we see how we're controlling them or we're doing things to control them and yeah it may work to get them to do the thing for the moment but it doesn't feel right and you know and just because just like you know maybe it's a last resort thing that you had to do it's you know that can be something that i find like really weighs on people in itself mm -hmm. um yeah. I mean, if anything, this past year, 
I, I mean, I hope that that would teach people alone how little we can control. I mean, and that kind of goes into the other area I wanted to talk to you about, which was advocacy and activism and just responding to all these, ex- like everything that's happening, how as a parent you help your child go through this. And um, I read your article in exchange. It was great, which by the way, I tried to find again and it's gone. I don't know if you know this. But oh, wow. Fun. I didn't know. First time okay. hearing it. I'll have to hit them up. I'll let them know because I clicked on the link and it and it and I couldn't find it. But, um, you know, it was great. It was a really great article about how you you reflect on your own behavior and what you're doing. And it kind of goes back to this modeling. You know, what are your children seeing you doing in response to what's going on in the world? And that'll kind of dictate, you know, how they maybe think about it and feel about it, um, but then also give them the space to kind of explore and make those decisions for themselves too. Um, so at what age do you kind of start having these conversations about injustice and about racism and about how to advocate for yourself if you're a child of color or if you want to, um, like go protest, you know, when they get older, how do you start these conversations with younger children and then continue on, bringing them up and and making sure that it is a regular conversation that you have with your child. Yeah. So um, first thing I want to say is that you can talk about race without talking about racism. Um, Mm -hmm. That's something you can just kind of normalize and you kind of explain your home. It's just something that is, you know, you don't have to be, you know, whether you are a, it doesn't matter where you're from, you should have books that represent, and not mm-hmm. should, but you can have books that represent, you know, all parts of the world and cultures. That's something that you can do regardless of your race. Now, in terms of when to have conversations about injustice and racism, um, I think, you know, I wouldn't really give an age on that, I would say. For most things, I would say like, it kind of depends on where the child's at in their development. I'd also say where the child's at in their environment too. And I think the best way to teach children anything, kind of as you were alluding to, was is through, is through experience and modeling. So like, mm-hmm. if you're going to, I think a great way to teach a three-year-old about, you know, I, about, I would, I would maybe focus more on advocacy and like, if there's something that you don't, you know, agree with that you can speak up and this, these are the ways that you can do it. And in that exchange article, I've talked about how I did it with my Montessori group of three, four and five year olds, how we, you know, we sat down and asked them like, what's something that they really wanted? And they said, chicken and rice. And so we protested for chicken and rice. They made signs. We, you know, called the director and said that we, we were going to have this protest. We um, typed up a letter. No, actually, we typed up a letter to the director and we called the chef um, of the school. And we did all these things. We, you know, came up with it. Really, I came up with the chant, but we learned the chant together. <laughs> left, right, chicken and rice. Left, right, chicken and rice. And we protested through the halls for chicken and rice. And lo and behold, that afternoon they had chicken and rice. And you know, the lesson was there is you can advocate and you can do these things to, you know, make your voice heard and that your voice mm-hmm. is important. And even something as like big that seems like out of your control, like um chicken and rice for lunch, like what you're having for lunch, which typically is completely out of their control. Um, that they, you know, there are ways that you can advocate for that. So, you know, that's the way that I did it. But like in a, and I, you know, when I talked about that, there are some people on Instagram or some parents who kind of like did their own little versions of that, um, which was really cute. So you really can do it in the home. But also Mm -hmm. if you're going to a protest, you know, you can take them there and allow them to ask questions and you can talk about like, you know, what in as much of an age developmentally appropriate way, because definitely children, you know, something to be aware of is that not every child is in the same point of their development and temperaments also play a factor into this. And so, but as if they're asking the question in the most developmentally appropriate way, you can answer their questions as you're 
taking them to the, you know, the protests and, you know, talking a little bit about what's going on. Yeah. So, so that would be the way, like from a young age, you could do mm -hmm. that. I don't know. And I would say like, you know, from as young as now is an infant, if you take an infant to a protest, are they really going to like, is that going to be ingrained in their brain and they're going to, you know, be, you know, all about social justice with, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I would say no, if that's the only thing you're doing, but it's more about the lifestyle that you're living and who you are and your being and how you talk about things and how you go about things and that kind of household culture that you're creating um, through things like modeling and the rules and, and guidelines and how you talk about things and what you bring into your household um, that creates that long-term change, not one individual thing that you do because, right. you know, George Floyd is in the news cycle this week. Right, right, right. Of course. Yeah. So making it. Yeah, I, I liked what you said at first, though, just talking about race separate from racism. That's super important. And um, when I when I was also um, in school and college, I got to be a research assistant for my psych professor and she was studying at what age do children start to learn about race and like the scenarios, the different um, we went to different campuses and we interviewed children. Um, I think they were between like five and seven and we asked them all these different questions. And it was so interesting to learn their responses to questions where they clearly did not even think about it or they clearly knew very well what we were talking about. Like just where the different levels they were at. Of course, a lot of it came from parents um, talking about it in front of them and th things like that. But like, you know, smaller children too, we'd ask them like, what color are you? And they would say like, well, they'd look at their clothes. They're like, well, I'm pink today and I'll be blue tomorrow. Like they just didn't even register. And it was so, it like, it's very clear that we do have as parents such a huge impact on how and when they learn about these things. Um, and so, yes, having all those books, super important. I've seen so many now coming out more and more, which has been amazing to see and, and just exposing them to these things in a way where there aren't negative connotations so they learned about it first in this really positive beautiful way um makes a lot of sense yeah but um yeah i think you know for parents when they don't even really know what to do and protesting is the most sometimes we feel we can do or you know of course writing a letter and it's just you do feel very hopeless in a lot of these situations so it's and i don't want to give that, I don't want my child to feel hopeless that they can't make a difference. So it's, I'm sure it's hard for parents who feel very stuck and sad and concerned and, you know, how to keep going to, to transfer that in a way where they aren't transferring that to their kids, I guess. And part of that is allowing, you know, we have this whole thing of like, you know, traditionally, and a lot of us grew up with like, don't talk back to me, right? And any time a child would, you know, respond or disagree with what a parent, you know, has said. And, you know, instead of shutting children and dismissing them when they are, when they disagree or they're discontent about something, you know, we should instead listen to them, hear them out, what they're expressing. Um, and if they're saying something in a way that is, rude or you feel like is is disrespectful the you know the focus should be less on you know don't talk back and more on you know there's a way that you you know respond and you you know express your your very real feelings you know mm -hmm. i understand that you're really frustrated by the decision that you know that that i made you know but there's a way for you to you know, for you to articulate that in a way that is going to be a lot more helpful for me to hear you. And also, mm -hmm. by the way, other people for you to hear. So let's practice right. that, right? And you can do things, especially as children get older and like involve them in like creating proposals for like different things that they want to do. And even like, let's say they want more screen time and you're concerned about because about their screen time because it's going to affect their sleep. You could do a study with them where they have to, you know, document how much screen time they they have each day and how it's affecting their sleep. Um, 
and maybe even how it's affecting their grades or whatever. And you can do a study and put it so that they can see it for themselves and you're all kind of learning. And, and maybe the outcome is that they, you know, they do get a little extra or they don't or, but it's about the, it's less about the outcome and more about the process and right. really, you know, and really hearing them out and making sure that they feel heard too. Absolutely. I did in fifth, going into fifth grade, I really wanted a Kipling rolly backpack. Do you know the ones with the monkeys, the monkey keychain? And they're kind of expensive, especially for like a 10, for like a nine, 10 year old. Anyway, so my parents are like, okay, well, this is how much money you have to make to get that backpack. And so I found a job just like doing inventory, even though I was nine, I'm very type A organized (laughs) child doing inventory at a friend's, a family friend's store. And I made the money, but like, I had to like, speak up for myself. I had to ask them what I wanted. They explained to me how I could get that. And the whole summer I worked before fifth grade and I got it. So yeah, teaching kids that kind of thing, like the steps and going through that process together. It's also nice to do that together too. Yeah. Um, Very relationship building. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you want to tell people before they have kids? Like something that's maybe a resource or just tips, like something that we can, that'll, that's important for, for you, that you think for important for us to know before we have children. Cause I think when we think about having kids, a lot of it's like, am I with the right person? Or if, if you're choosing to do it alone, like, am I ready financially to do that? Or, you know, we think about very, I feel like more short term um, questions like, am I ready? Um, but really raising a child for 18 years, that's long-term understanding their development. That's long-term. So what do you kind of, would you want us to know beforehand that could be really helpful for us? Um, that most of us grew up feeling unseen. Mm -hmm. Um, and that I think one, that can be something that's really tough to do, but one of I think one of the one of the most important things to do is to see behaviors communication. Mm-hmm. Um, understand that most behavior or that misbehavior is the result of unmet needs and unlearned skills, and to really try to take the perspective of the child as much as possible. Um, and and think about the world from their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, those things can be, they may sound easy, but those things can be incredibly hard to do, especially mm-hmm. in the moment. Um, and really learn, be, you know, as much as you can be, you know, self-aware about mm-hmm. your things that, you know, trigger you and how you regulate and kind of learning to regulate your body um, and your your own nervous system. Mm-hmm. Those are things that I would say that would be really important to like think about. Yeah. Uh, and maybe even practice. You can even, like if you have, there are other children in your life, you can practice kind of almost observing them and trying to see what they're communicating. I used to play this like almost funny kind of gay, like when I first started working um, with kids, and really just observing them. And then almost, we would do it kind of in a joking way, but trying to narrate what their behavior was communicating in words. Um, And that was kind of a, that was a good like precursor to really actually understanding what children, it was good practice. So I would say. Absolutely. I actually, I follow this one woman on Instagram who helps people who have dealt with narcissistic parents or family members throughout their life. And it's really like left them scarred from that experience. And what she does is she says, Siri, can you translate this? And she says the thing the narcissistic person says, and then it like translates to exactly what that person actually means. Like, oh, I'm just making you feel inferior so I can feel in control. Like she like translated it that way. So it kind of reminds me of that, like just understanding where this behavior is coming from just could solve so many problems <laughs> before we react. Yeah. yeah, I want to say one more thing on it too, that patience isn't resisting anger. Patience comes from an understanding. 
And so when you under understand what's happening, why your child is coloring on the wall, when you understand that it's because they need to color with their whole body. And so you need to get an easel or something yeah. like that. They like a vertical axis something they can paint or color with their whole body and provide that those opportunities. Then you get less than you have more patience. When you understand that children have a need for physical activity, when they're jumping on the couch, you know, mm-hmm. or running around the house, you have more patience and you're able to think about, huh, let's release this energy in a different way. Let's, mm-hmm. let's do an obstacle course. Let's do, uh, you know, a dance party exercise, you know, go to the playroom, go outside. You know, when you understand that they're, you know, what that cry means, right? And it's a little, maybe a little bit easier. I'm not necessarily say easier because different people have different triggers. But when you understand what the cry means, then mm-hmm. it's easier to have patience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to really respond and be helpful in that situation as opposed to potentially dismissive or harmful. Absolutely. That's really good advice. Um, well, thank you so much. I just have three last questions that I ask every guest. Um, the first one is what mantra or words do you like to live by? Mm. Okay. So my <laughs> mission in life is to enjoy the process of becoming the best version of myself and to help others do the same. My vision for the world is to help adults see, guide, and trust children. Mm-hmm. And my favorite mantra for um, myself in terms of being with children is mm-hmm. they're not giving you a hard time, they're having a hard time. Mm. That's a good one. It's good to remember. Um, thank you. And then we all know it takes a village to raise kids. What do you most value in your community or in yourself also raising future generations, um, whether it be the teachers you work with, the parents you work with, the schools you work with? Um, what do you most value when everyone comes together and kind of works really well to help these future generations grow up to be great people? Um, I very much love like collaboration and positive energy I don't know like I just like I think that I don't know if this is going to answer your question but I think that music is a great way to bring people together of Mm -hmm. all different age groups um and 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 different cultures as well although different cultures have maybe different music that they may prefer Mm -hmm. um you know I would do music with children as young as you know zero and as old as 12 all together and everyone would enjoy it but everyone mm-hmm. would be participating in their own way some you know some of the, the older children are like singing the songs because they know the words and doing motions you know some of the um you know five-year-olds who just catch it just got the words but can't like really do all the dance moves the two-year-olds aren't really dancing but they're like jumping do that little two-year-old hop that they do and the the you know one-year-olds and <laughs> they're just kind of vibing and just like just enjoying all this the sensory experience um so music can be something and i've never met a person who doesn't like music at all everyone has their different kinds of music that they enjoy but everyone yeah. likes music so yeah. that's my answer I, that's a good one <laughs> um and then lastly what qualities do you most admire and you work to instill in the children that you work with um the improvingist mindset don't be a perfectionist, be an improvementist. The goal isn't to be perfect all the time. The goal is to improve a little every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really it's just about like, if mistakes are okay. Like we're all learning, we're all improving. Like I'm gonna make mistakes and that's just an opportunity to learn. There's no need to feel shame over it or cry over the spilled milk, it's just, Ah, it happened, acknowledge it, repair it, learn from it, move on. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's the quality that I work to instill in any kind of community 
that I am in a big part I do, a big way that I do that is by <laughs> modeling. So when you see me on Instagram and TikTok or whatever, and I have typos, I'm making some kind of mistakes, know <laughs> that I'm just modeling for the community. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> so those typos are ty- are on purpose is what you're saying. <laughs> 100%. 100 um, Well, thank you so much, Chaz. This was such a pleasure to speak with you. It's so funny to see you in real life because <laughs> I'm so used to seeing you on Instagram and TikTok. But um, where can people find you? I'll include in the show notes kind of the links, but wherever you'd prefer most for people to connect with you. I actually have a podcast myself. It's called Mr. Chaz's Leadership Parenting and Teaching Podcast. Um, I also, and it's on all podcasting platforms. I have a TikTok. It's called Mr. Chaz, Mr. Chaz, no space. And it's mm-hmm. M-R-C-H-A-Z-Z. And Instagram, Mr. Chaz. Facebook, Mr. Chaz, space, Mr. Chaz. I'm on LinkedIn a little bit, Mr. Chaz. Um <laughs> And so that is where you can find me. I'm working on a book. Amazing. Um, so you'll eventually be able to find me there. But um, just, yeah, give it some time. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and all of your insight. All right. Yeah. Thank you for having <laughs> me. And I can't wait for it to go up and hear what people have to say. And hey, yep. if you're listening to this, and you heard, like, I love messages where people tell me where they came from and heard me from. So feel free to DM me if you yeah. found me through here. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Amazing. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, no problem. You have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Not A Mom Yet podcast. As you heard, Mr. Chaz didn't plan on having this specific career, but he definitely ended up here for a reason. He is so good at what he does. You can find all of his information in the show notes, and if you're a parent or teacher or just want to learn more from him, support his Patreon. Thank you so much again for listening, and if you can please take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast, I would appreciate it so much. Thank you again, and have a beautiful day.